in First Peter, um, a rare book usually um, um, for people to go through, but I think it's a very timely book for us as we, as we talk about what it means to be young but deal with grown-up issues. And we're asking God um, as disciples that as we deal with uh, adult issues, when we talk about adult, we're not talking about nasty adult. Just thought I'd explain that. We're talking about the real definition of biblical adulthood. Once was a child, I spoke as a child, acted as a child, but when I became a man, when I grew up, I uh, put away childish things. And so our desire, biblically, is to see God do a work in our lives as we're thrusted into situations that are beyond our spiritual maturity to handle. <laughs> um, and every one of us are going to deal with issues that are beyond our maturity to handle. And last week, we talked about... Um, Stability in an unstable world um, and the fact that we're exiles, um, uh, elect exiles. And we just, we just spent time just talking about what that means and how that plays out in our lives. And then we talked about the role of the Godhead in stabilizing us in salvation. Very, very important. Today, I, I want to I talk about faith under pressure. Faith under pressure. Um, I think Peter, in this introduction, does a, 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 a gorgeous job, a beautiful job at pointing us at the right things. And again, I think I only have two points. I stopped this short. I think we're just going to go to about verse 7. Because um, I, I just want to not, t I don't want to rush through this. Is that cool with y'all? I really want us to just kind of pace our ways. And I may not finish today. If I don't, I'll just, we'll just catch it up next week. But, but I really want us, I'm not trying to say that we're going to get all this scripture has in it. Um, that's impossible. But, but I want to spend some time with us walking through these verses as we talk about faith under pressure. If you are a believer, your faith is going to be under pressure. The question is, the question is, is how are you going to deal with the pressure? Um, and, and, and some of you are realizing that now, um, as you are growing in the faith and developing in the faith and have been in the Christian faith, um, God, as we talked about last week, has seasons in your life where you go through trials. And every believer in Jesus Christ are in three places in their life. There are only three places for the believer while they're living. Three. Going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of one. That, those are the cycles of the believer's life. And as you look at Peter, he, he, he takes his time talking to a group of people who are young in the faith. They're young disciples and some are older disciples who are mixed in as a multi-ethnic community of believers in Asia Minor. And, and, the, and they're dealing with the pressure of being under unjust rule. Many of these people are the sociologically ostracized in that particular ex uh, um, environment. And so what Peter does in the book of Peter is he begins explaining the Christian life to them. So that they may have a holistic understanding of the faith. And see, if you're going to become a, 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 a good disciple of Jesus Christ, you must understand every corner and crevice of the different types of situations that God places us in. And what it looks like in each and every one of those situations to maximize what it means to glorify him. 
And so our prayer is, is that you will be thoroughly equipped throughout the book of 1 Peter to deal with some of these things. So I'm going to start at verse 3. Hopefully we'll get to verse 7 today. But I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to read this. I, th- I think we'll get to it. Um, starting with verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power, that's us, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If the English, the RS, if the ESV didn't chop that up a little bit, some of you English types would have just gone crazy because really verses 3 through 12 is just one big run-on sentence. Um, But to kind of help us chop it up a little bit, um, the English translators put periods and commas and stuff to kind of help us out to kind of make grammatical sense of it, yet stay faithful to the original. And so that brings me to my first point. If you're going to be a believer that, that has the ability uh, to stand when your faith is under pressure, the first thing that you must understand is that when under pressure, we must celebrate the results of salvation. When under pressure, you must celebrate the results of salvation. Verse 3, he says, blessed, stop. This word is so, this is a pregnant word. Blessed, blessed. Most people would look at this verb, I mean, at this word and, and think it's a verb, but it's actually an adjective. And what's interesting about this word is there's a word that a lot of people utilize around funerals. It's, it's, the, it's the word that we get our word eulogy from. Most people, when they think of a eulogy, they think of an organ playing, somebody with Bengay on playing an organ, um, you know what I'm saying, and the light's real dim, and a remembrance of me table with a coffin and somebody laying in the coffin with ruffles and a bunch of flowers around and people are going past weeping. When they think of the word eulogy, it's a very depressing word. But really, it, 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 it has nothing necessarily to do with the funeral, although for a believer's death, it should be included in their funeral. See, the word eulogy here, or blessed, is an interesting word. When you look at it, you'll think of it that he's asking us to bless God. Inherently, he is. But really, he's not asking us yet to bless God. Y'all got to stay with me on this one. Because he's telling you the ingredients of what to do when your faith is under pressure. He He says, blessed, adjective, not verb. What he's doing is he says, blessed be someone. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he does here is he gives a name to describe what the Father is like. Um, He says, the Father is blessed. It's a way that he's trying to describe the Father and our role in relationship with the Father. The word blessed, um, it, it, it has the idea of one who is worthy of praise. It can even be translated blessed one. And so as he begins this section and he talks to the believers in Christ who are going through hell and high water, the first thing that he does after he gets out of his greeting is he describes 
what God is like. He is blessed. In other words, no matter what you go through, no matter what things are like, God is still blessed. See, 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 I'm not talking about you being blessed, but I'm talking about him being blessed. See, if I was in my old Baptist church, they'd understand what I was talking about right now. But, but, but when you talk about God being described as blessed, that means the unmovable fact that he is able to be blessed, worthy to be blessed, and inherently must be worshipped no matter what type of circumstance we're in. And see, many of us find it hard to I, I, understand. Most people think about God being good. And that's good. We need to think about God being good. But Peter says, I don't want you to just think of God being good. I want you to think about describing him as blessed. In other words, even though your situation feels a mess, even though you're crying at night, even though you're frustrated and wish this was over, even though you wish you could go around what you're going through, rather go through, that's why David says, yea, though I go through the valley, and, and, and see, I, I don't care where you are, but you have to go through a valley. And while you're not in the peaks of the mountain family, you got to learn why you're in the rubbish and, 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 sh and, and shake it frustrating circumstance of the inner workings of a valley. You have to be able to look up and say, blessed. Oh, y'all not, not hearing me yet. My man Job know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Job lost everything. And when Job lost everything... He, he actively got into blessing, but he announced the blessedness of God. He says, the Lord gives. See, 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 you got to understand. He knows how to bless God for everything. And what he says is he, say, he says, he says, the Lord gives. See, that's the time when it's easy to say blessed. But he doesn't stop there, family. He says, the Lord taketh away. Then after that, he says, God I'm hurting, that's why I got on sackcloth and ashes right now, but blessed. And see, some of y'all right now need to just stand up and look up to heaven and say blessed. <laughs> I know you're hurting right now, I know you're frustrated right now, but at some point in time on the, on, on the, on the dynamics of your journey in the midst of redemptive historic history, you got to announce that God is blessed. That your situation doesn't call you, cause you to re-describe God based on what you're going through. You got to be careful of letting your hardship speak to you. Because your hardship has a big mouth. And pain makes you intake stuff that you shouldn't intake. And so what God, what Peter tells the people of God is he says, I want us to focus in on the preeminence of God the Father in the Trinity. You see, he just talked about, this is crazy. See, people don't tell nobody this. They just tell you run around, but they don't tell you why to run around. I don't mind you running around just as long as you got a reason to run around. And you notice last week, our last point talked about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father chooses, uh, the Spirit sanctifies or drafts us into salvation, and the Son cleanses. But then he goes and he says, I want to go back to the Father for just one minute. And what he says is, I want to bless the Father because of his preeminence in the Godhead. 
and, 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 and he's going to give us specific things. What does preeminence mean? His firstness, his primacy, um, the, the way we look to him as the one who we got back in relationship with. Although it was the entire Godhead, it was specifically uh, 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 against um, the father himself who the, who, whose wrath was satisfied. And so right here, Peter says, I want you to remind yourself and celebrate the results of salvation that there's no, no, no longer a gap between you and God. And so he says, I want you to bless God. What's funny is the word here, it, it, it's interesting. You usually use this word at the end. <laughs> See, when you look at Psalm 41, 14, that's the last verse. Psalm 72, 18. Psalm 83, Thir uh, 53 and Psalm 106 48 you see the psalmist ticked off at God throughout the psalm God I don't know what's going on here and start l l going through all of this agony of frustration ups and downs and then at the end they say blessed but what's interesting is that Peter doesn't give the people of God any time to vent Instead of, because it's called, the word is called a doxological conclusion. It's a word that you usually use at the end of a statement when you got finished venting. I know you're good, God. Like, I, but I just had to clear my chest. Get things off my chest. But this is not what he does. He begins beautifully with saying, I want the entirety of everything that I'm about to talk about to be influenced about how we're going to describe God throughout this letter. So he said, I don't want you to change up your understanding of God because hell is breaking loose. But I want every point and position comprehensively in every area of your life to be marked by the blessedness of God. And so, and so he calls for their, them to bless the living God and because they needed clarity of identity during, the, during this difficult circumstance. So he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are three things that he wants us to describe God as blessed for. Three things in this particular section under this point. Then we got three more under the next point, then I'm out your way. The first thing is he wants us to find rest in the loyalty of God. <laughs> he wants us to find rest in the loyalty of God. It's right here in the text. It says in the B part of verse 3, it says, according to his great mercy. Stop. The word for mercy here points back to an untranslatable word called chesed. Say chesed. I wasn't hawk spitting on you. I was just saying chesed. That's how you say it. And it points back to an untranslatable word. It's really untranslatable. It really just is better to just say chesed. But instead of saying chesed, some scholars have tried to work through how to translate this in a way that we can grasp the potency and pregnancy of this word, right? And so what, my, what we do right here, right, is, is, is some of them in the Psalms, like in the old English versions or in the New American Standard, will say loving kindness. In other words, they had to create a compound word to describe what God is like. But, but really, my, I like the way my Hebrew prof brought it, broke it down. He told us, he said, hesed really at its essence means loyal love. The loyalty of God's love. The first thing that he tells believers while they're going through is that even though you're going through, God's love for you is loyal. That's good to hear. 
when, when, when many of us experience people who are disloyal, relationships that are disloyal, mindsets that are disloyal. And so what he tells them, he says, I want you to bless God because of, of, of now, this is how I want you to bless him. I want you to bless him according to his great mercy. So I want you to make sure that your blessing of God is connected to the mercy of God. Because blessing, blessing God without understanding how loyal he is, how faithful he is. See, 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 every, time, every, every point and period in my life, I know I have to always be reminded of the fact that God is loyal. Because sometimes things that God allows to happen to me, I feel like God has let one through his finger and there's, a, there's almost this disruption of what I want my life to be like at a certain point. And because there's that disruption of what I want my life to be like, fam, at that point, I begin to doubt the loyalty of God. I begin to doubt the love of God. I begin to doubt whether or not I'm in the will of God. I know y'all never been there before. I begin to doubt whether or not, did I make the right choice, God? I know I heard from you in your word. I know the belief. But I, Lord, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm confused because I'm struggling and I'm hurting. And so I need to know whether or not your love is loyal, God. That's what we need to be focused in on that describes every point and every period of our lives, fam, is that the ruler of lights is loyal. He has great fidelity. He, he, he is never, he is never, he is never disloyal to us. We do not serve an adulterous God. Our God is a faithful husband. He's a faithful husband. He'll never cheat on you. And I, I'm just letting you know that whatever he has allowed to slip through his fingers is according to his loyal love towards you. Many of you may be embittered right now because I know all that. You may say, I know all that. You ain't got to tell me. I want to be out of it, though. I, I, I like I want out. Just can I just want out? Can I just not want to grow? Can I just see the working of God in my life right now as an interruption? Can I just say that? Can I just say I'm sick of trials? Can I say, I, I don't feel like blessing God right now. I want to sit with my hands folded and my feet together. I'm not meditating. I'm not worshiping him in a different way. I'm silently protesting that I don't like where I am. The question on the floor is, do we recognize the, 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 the nature of the beauty of God's loyalty because every one of us, remember, we're elect exiles. We were elected for things to be off kilter. You were elected for your life to always feel like it's going through ups and downs. You were elected for that. God, before the foundations of the earth, that's why he says to elect exiles. That's who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to people who feel like they're in between heaven and earth. They're they want heaven more, but they know they got to rep him here. And so they need some nutrients to help them to make sure they walk in their election properly. <laughs> and, and, so I'm, and so I'm praying for us. That's why Jesus prayed. He says, he says, Pete, 
See, Peter probably remembered this. I believe if you, when you go through the book of 1 Peter, you probably remember, you'll, you'll hear echoes of his conversations with Jesus. And Jesus promised that the Spirit, when he came upon Peter, would remind him of all things that he, Jesus had taught to him. So in remembrance of him, I, I bet you Peter got in mind when he had the scariest conversation with Jesus. I believe this is scarier. I, I, I think it's scary. I don't know which one is scarier. You're going to deny me? Or Satan has gone before God specifically to sift you like wheat. Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Cephas, my man Pete. Satan has gone before the Father. And he's asked. See, most people rebuking the devil. But the devil is, ain't here. Like, some of us ain't important enough for the devil to specifically assign himself to us. See, but Peter, who was going to shepherd the other apostles, Satan said, man, if I take out the leader, I can mess up the building of the church. And so he says, Father God, look at this doubting punk you got here. Your son already prophesied he's going to punk out. Let me sift him like wheat. Let your boy get to him. Let your boy get to him, God. Come on, man. Let me get him. And Jesus, the Father through the Spirit, makes Jesus privy of the conversation. And, 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 and Jesus tells Peter, the Father has been asked, I mean, Satan has been asking that he may sit. He, the sense of it is that he continues to entreat God over and over and over again about sifting Peter. It wasn't just a one-time occurrence. He kept bombarding the throne of God about what he wanted to do to Peter. And he, Jesus said, he's been asking to sift you like wheat. But Peter, I have prayed for you. He said, I have prayed for you. That when you have fallen, once again, you can turn and encourage your brothers. Because he promised him that he was going to be partially sifted. But don't let the partial sifting take you out of the game. Because because of the blood of Christ, none of us can go through a career-ending injury. None of us. None of us. There are many times in your life where you're going to feel like, I know from here God is shut down for me. It's shut down, and God is not, God, God wants to override that. And so I'm praying that because I know that Satan wants to sift the church as a whole like wheat. And that's why Peter tries to focus them in on um, God's loyal love. And then he goes from there as he talks about God's loyal love, and he says, not only must you find rest in God's loyal love, but he says, also, you must find rest in God's work of regeneration. Like, this sounds goofy. Like, why in a trial would you think about loyal love and regeneration? Like, that's too doctrinal. Like, that's too deep. It's not deep. It's deep and not deep. But look what he says. He says, he, says, he has caused, that is, the Father has caused, y'all got to stay with me. The Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what the second thing that he points them in, he points them in first on God's loyal love. 
as the reason why God is named blessed or described as blessed. But now he focuses in on God's work in regeneration. The word here for causing us to be born again is only used here one time in this place in the New Testament. And I believe Peter is using, uh, is looking back to John chapter 3, verses 3 and verses 7, with with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus when he said, you must be born again. But what Peter does here is he says, he says, I want to remind you, this is so simple, y'all, I'm I'm embarrassed. He tells the believers, I want to remind you that you're saved. He said, I want to remind you of the fact that you're saved. Now, that may sound goofy, but when you go through struggles, you enter what's called an identity crisis. (laughs) And you begin to think of things that don't line up with your birth. You begin to want to do things that's not. And so what he, he starts from the ground floor and says, God has caused. Now, remember, the father has caused. In other words, it is a work of God that he elected you and caused you to be born again. And so what he reminds them of is the fact that, yo, man, you all are God's born again people. He says to a living hope. What is hope? Hope is one of, see, without hope, you can't have faith. Why? Because hope, I've told y'all before, is one of the ingredients for faith. Hebrews 11.1 said, faith is the what? Substance of things hoped. So hope is, like, like you can't have faith without hope and you can't have hope without faith. But what he does is he says, substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So he says, he's caused us to be born again according to a living hope. What does hope mean? Hope means a, a visionary picture of an expectation that's been promised by God to his people. It's an expectation. But hope is not faith, and we'll talk about that in a minute. It's an ingredient of faith. But if, if, you, if you're no longer dreaming godly dreams, you're losing hope. If you no longer see life out of your current circumstances, you're losing hope. But what's interesting is unbelievers have hope. Like some people hope they get a record deal. Some people hope they get a job. Some people hope they get some new gear. Some people hope they get this kind of food. Some people hope they get a crib. Some people hope they get a husband. Some people hope they are able to sin. Some people have a bunch of hopes, but he describes this hope differently. He says we have been born again according to a living hope. (laughs) He said, in other words, the thing that we're expecting is not something we have to make happen. In other words, salvation is not an entrepreneurial venture of humans. (laughs) And so what he's saying is, he's saying is, is that God raised Jesus from the dead. So the picture of what we're going to be like is inherent in Jesus. And so our hope is living because Christ is not dead. He's alive. (laughs) And so what happened? Listen to me, man. And so, and so, and so we, we're, that's why he said, keep your mind on things above, not just heaven. Not just heaven. The pearly gates and streets of gold and driving a Bentley on them. Like, no. He says, keep your mind on things above where, what? Christ is seated. So listen, your mind being on things above is based on a person, not a place. 
And so when we talk about our hope is a living hope, it's the fact that, and what's interesting, he doesn't mention the cross. It's interesting because he's talking about the resurrection as a summation of the entire work of God in the gospel through Jesus Christ. And so, but the picture of everything we're going to be is wrapped up in the resurrection. Read it up in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Don't have time to chop that up. But he says, we have been born again. We're saved. I'm reminding you that you're saved. And I'm reminding you that salvation is real. Real simple. He said, I want to remind you, fam, that salvation is actually a real thing. Because I don't want you to allow your current challenges to confuse you with the eternal hope. And so he says, this is the way in which God has caused us to be born again according to a living expectation. In other words, the hope that that we're going to experience is not just some man-made vision in some infomercial where they want to send you a product that won't work and you got to send back. Or you're excited about getting it and you only exercise with it for a little while, but you never lose use it in the long run. Now, a living hope, a consistent hope, an everlasting hope. So he says, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then the last thing in this section under this point that he encourages, that he encourages believers with, is he said we must first find rest in the loyalty of God. God God has loyal love. We also must find rest in the work of regeneration. God has caused you to be born again through a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But then he says the last thing is he says we must find rest in the unchanging nature of salvation. This is powerful, y'all. He says to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What he has to remind them is there is no situation that you go through that's so hard that you lose your salvation. There are several reasons why losing our salvation is heretical. It's heretical. And you'll see in this text why. It's heretical. I don't even understand what the argument is about. I, like I'm, like if you begin your sal- if if God if like if you begin your salvation, then you continue your salvation. But God begins your salvation; He has to continue your salvation. But look what David calls it. He call, he starts. He says, "I, I, I wish I, I tag these words. I, I hate spending so much time on each word." But he says, "To an inheritance, <laughs> an inheritance." Dang, the inheritance is huge. You can do just a series on just the inheritance of the saints. But I'll describe some of the things that are involved in our inheritance. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We inherit that. Because Jesus Christ gave the relationship that he has with the Father and includes us in on it. That's an inheritance. (laughs) And we will reign with him. Now, we don't sit on his throne but we will reign with him. But he has to be king of kings. 
In other words, king above all kings. But not only that, we get new bodies. That's an inheritance. A new identity. A new name that you have between you and Jesus. Jesus got a nickname for every believer. A crown, whether it's physical or just life itself, it's an inheritance. You get a new spirit. You get a new heart. You get brand new way of thinking, brand new way of feeling, and brand new way of doing. <laughs> That's your inheritance. You inherit that from your big brother, Jesus Christ. Ah. And so, and so, and so that's, that's some of what our inheritance is, just a little bit of it. Now, let's look at what, how he describes. See, when you look at the nature of how he describes the inheritance, I struggle when people say you can lose your salvation. Listen to how he describes it. Peter describes it first as imperishable. Imperishable. The inheritance can never perish. In other words, it points to the fact that eternal life is actually eternal. Just the word eternal itself. If we can lose our salvation, fam, then that wasn't eternal life. That was temporal life. That means that God is not great in mercy. That infringes upon his mercy. That, that means the father is an Indian giver. That's what we used to call people who say they want. When we was little... Somebody lets you play with their Tonga truck or their G.I. Joe figure. Let me, you can have it, Eric. Oh, man, you're going to let me have it? Cool. Next day, he start missing his action figure. Then he come and say, I want my figure back. We call that an Indian giver. God ain't like man. He ain't no Indian giver. And, and so he says, it's imperishable. It's eternal. In other words, the life of an inheritance you receive cannot die. It is inherently compared to physical life that can be corruptible. And he's basically telling them, even though there's sickness in your body, fam, even though you're getting beat down, although your physical life can expire, your spiritual life can never expire. But then he goes from calling, uh, describing eternal life or the inheritance as imperishable to undefiled. In other words, that which cannot be corrupted. It can't be corrupted by sin. Did y'all hear that? Your sin can't corrupt your eternal life. If you can lose your salvation, that means eternal life is corruptible. I heard one preacher say, man, God even gets tired of people sometimes. I'm like, dang. Like you're like using him to describe us. But, but our eternal life, and see, you see it, it, it's helping people to know that when they're in trials, so you got to remember what's the background. When they're in trials, what they're going to, through doesn't change the nature of their salvation. It describes the nature of their salvation. And so he said, he said, he said it's undefiled. In other words, I, now, now I know somebody said, oh, why are you going to say that, man? You know, cats going to start wigging out now. But Paul answers that question real easily in the last verses of Romans chapter 5. He says, should we sin that grace may abound? He said, no. A true response by a person that's been born again. See, if you begin to think about sinning because of grace, you're not saved. 
You don't know him. I'm talking about meditate on it for a long time and begin to start working in that thing. Oh, shoot. I, I, I'm glad I knew. <laughs> nah. Now salvation, because, uh, listen, listen, for the true elect, for the person that God has caused to be born again, who has a new spirit in them, a new heart that's waiting on the eternal expectation of Jesus Christ, it motivates them to carry on. It's a motivation to say, God, you're not through with me yet. God, I know I'm, I know I'm, fr- I know I'm, I'm th- oh, I'm jacked up. God, help me. Lord, I want to push on because I'm, I'm glad that the blood of Jesus is not endless. That's why the song says the blood will never lose its power. Listen, if you have a sin that you can present to me right now that can cancel out the blood of Jesus, mention it to me. I remember, I remember when I was in, um, I was in seminary, I, my first year seminary, I, I, you know, I, when I first transferred, I was like this ultra spiritual charismatic dude. And then I started getting around, you know, conservatives, even though I still had some of my charismaniac stuff. But when I came over, I saw this guy that when, it, this, when the gold dust phenomenon was out, they said the air conditioned gold was coming off the air conditioned ducts. And, um, you know what I'm saying? I was like, gold dust. Like, what does that have to do with the glory of God? And so, you know, I started saying, man, that's the devil. Then I don't know why, because I, during that period, I was calling everything a, the devil. And then at one point, I'll never forget, I got, my spirit got grieved. And um, I interpreted that I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So y'all don't understand, I spent three months crying. Like, I was, re- I, no commentary helped me. I read every commentary on Matthew, Mark, and Luke that talk about it. And I did exegesis. I went to professors. I, I remember I collapsed in, in, in the preacher's hand. I just broke all, I mean, I was tore up. And the guy told me, he said, he said you think you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, huh? He said, well, you sure are worried. I was like, yeah, man, because, man, I, I just think I ain't going to heaven now, man. I know I believe in eternal security, but I'm struggling. Like, I think I blaspheme the spirit, man. Like, I was like, man, I can't take not spending eternity with God. I was, I was hurt. I was like, man, and I've been reading about hell, like, and hell ain't going, like, it's crazy, man. Gnashing the teeth, dumping cats in the lake of fire, no Jesus, no enjoyment, no grace, no mercy, just wrath and holiness forever. Like, I, I can't, justice, just, just unleashed. Like, I was, I was, I mean, I was, I mean, I was broke all down. I mean, I was scared to death. And, and the guy said, you know what? If you had blasphemed the spirit, you wouldn't be acting like this. He said, because a person that has blasphemed the Holy Spirit will blaspheme the Spirit and go on about their business. He said, go back to Matthew 12, son. He said, look at the attitude and the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees. He said, your heart isn't hard. It's just broken. He said, I just believe you misinterpreted the grief of the Holy Spirit because you were so quick to denounce something as the devil that might have been a work of his. So I believe that, uh, don't misinterpret that grief to mean you've lost your salvation. Just switch up how you rail about things and speak about things when you study through and think through it, but don't just run and say something is a work of the devil that may be a work from God. And it took some months. And it took some time, but 
I was like, okay, God, I, I mean, I think I'm saved now again. I think I'm all right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but Peter, again, is helping believers to understand the fact that their salvation was undefiled. Then he said it's unfading. This word really is used of unfading. It's used of a flower blooming and fading. In other words, you know how sometimes somebody give you a rose, ladies? You know, your man give you a rose and you snip it off about this much. Then you pull out your scrapbook with the flower ruffles and stuff all around it and open it up. You got the big pen with the big flower on it. Y'all just got all kinds of just, and you open up the pink page that has hearts around the edges of it. And you, and you pull back the plastic real easy like. And then you take the flower and you smash the flower and you put it in the page. And then you take the picture of who gave it to you and you put it in the page and you close it. Because mama told you if you take a flower, it'll preserve the flower for a long time if you close it up in that space. Well, you know how that flower still withers and that flower still fades. But when you open it up and you smell it, it still has the savor of the fact that it's almost a fresh flower. Well, what's the, what he's saying here is that salvation, not only does it not wither, but it always stays fresh. In other words, what God does with our inheritance is he gets a freezer, a spiritual freezer bag. And he puts the date you got saved on it and the date he chose you, which was eternity past. He takes your inheritance, stuff it in that bag, zips it over and puts it in a freezer under his throne. And it stays fresh forever, forever and ever and ever. And ever, and ever, and ever. Look what he says. Then he says, kept in heaven for you. Some translations say reserved. I like the way, I like the, the, the translation of it being reserved. Because it reminds me, you know, I take my wife, you know, when I want to do real special things for my wife, you know what I'm saying? And I, I call in early today, sneak around her back, and I call someplace. I said, yeah, I'd like to get reservations there at your spot. Um, they hook me up with, what time would you like, sir? And I tell them what time, and I get the reservation. And, and what they do, this is what they do, is when we get there, I say, I have a reservation. They say, what's your name? And I say, Eric Mason. Oh, Mason Party. Oh, they said, oh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, uh, happy anniversary or whatever occasion it is. And they say, your table's already set. Candlelight, everything was waiting for you because when you called in the reservation, we began making preparations for the fact that you were going to be here at a particular time. Well, what God does with you is when you trust him as savior, he sets up reservations in the book of life. And when he sets up reservations for you in the book of life, that means that nobody can get your salvation. Only you can have your salvation. Why? Because it ain't reserved for your cousin. It ain't reserved for your moms. It ain't reserved for your uncle. It ain't even reserved for your friends. It is reserved for you. <laughs> it's, re it's on reservation, fam. It's, it's on reservation. But then my man Peter, just he's just acting a fool, so he takes it even further. And then he, say, he, say, he says here, he says... In verse 5, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ah, listen, he doesn't say that an angel is guarding your salvation. He doesn't say, I got a cherubim, you know, standing guard. The text says 
that God the Father guards your salvation. Now the, now, 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 now the psalmist always said, now who can come before God's presence and stand? In other words, who want to pick a fight with the living God? In, in other words, who going to come up there, God, I'm about to get that salvation. The writer Hebrew said, man, I feel for you if you fall in the hands of an angry God, fam. So our salvation, listen, is kept by the power of God. What is the power of God? His omnipotence. His, God is, since he's all-powerful, it takes an, another all-powerful being to take what he gave you. And he dares somebody to do it. He dares somebody to do it. God, like, I dare you. And so, and so, so, so the omnipotence of God it, 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 it keeps our salvation. It says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. Now, some people say, well, see, it's contingent upon our faith here. No, 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 it began by faith that wasn't yours in the first place. Romans chapter 2 verse 3 says God gives to each a what? Measure of faith. So listen. <laughs> the faith that you use to believe in God ain't even your faith, it's his. <laughs> listen, salvation ain't a work of man at all, fam. Everything that you have, you got from God. The Bible says, what do you have that wasn't given to you? And so it says it's preserved through faith. And so, in other words, he's not saying that our faith preserves it. He says, we believe that it is preserved through faith. See the difference? See, God's, the preservation of our salvation isn't contingent upon our faith because it's not our faith. It's faith that God has given to us that he causes us to remain intact until the last time, it says. And so you'll see Peter always pointing God's people to parousia, which I'll talk about in a minute. Say parousia. We're going to dive into it right now so we can get ready and close. Ah, Last point. I'll be out your way. Is that all right? Y'all still with me? All right, it says, my last point is, when under pressure, we must value faith that has been adequately tested. When under pressure, we must value faith that has been adequately tested, fam. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You are grieved by various trials. So what Peter, Peter does, Peter may be thinking about the parable of the soils here. Where the soil was throwing the seeds. Some of the seeds fell on rocky ground. And it says it grew up real fast, but then didn't have any ground to stand in. And then when Jesus interpreted, he said that that's people who, when the word of God falls on their heart, they receive the word of God with joy. But when trials come, the worries of life choke the word of God out. But he's telling them, that's not you. How do I know that? Because he says, in this you rejoice. In other words, you're already going through trials where you are rejoicing right now, believers. 
And so, 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 so this is what we want, how, how he says it. We, we must know that challenges are inevitable occurrences in all circumstances. When he says, if necessary, it doesn't mean that it's not necessary. That's a first-class condition, meaning, yes, it is necessary. In other words, trials are always described in the scriptures as, <laughs> as a little while in comparison to eternity. They're even described in Romans 8 as light. No matter how heavy they may seem. Why? Because of the eternal weight of glory. He said, when you get to heaven and you, when you spend eternity with God, new heavens, new earth, rather, you will look back on what you went through and it's almost, you're not even going to be able to compare it to the glory that just got revealed to you. He said, dang, all this? He said, man, you just going to stack it on a little bit more than that, God, now that I look back. Because this glory is crazy. It's bananas. I mean, looky, looky, God, looky, look. I mean, I'm looking around. I mean, it's glory all over this place. And if I knew then what I know now, I, I wouldn't have been a masochist, but I would have said, God, um, use me. Maximize your glory on my life. Get all you want to get. Press it out of me. Work it out of me. Strain me. Beat me down. Make me struggle. Make me get closer to you at any cost. <laughs> And so he says, for a little while, if necessary, grieved by various trials. The word there means multicolored. Various. Various means multicolored. But in this text, the way Peter is using it is trials of different types that happens in every season and in every area of your life. Ah, I'm sorry to break the news to y'all, but you're destined for every single area in your life to experience opposition. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. When you get married, opposition. While you're single, opposition. Good paying job, opposition. Low paying job, opposition. Four years of school, opposition. Local church, opposition. Bedroom, kitchen, bathroom, upstairs, downstairs, basement, corner, opposition. I promise you that. Matter of fact, I prophesy right now. <laughs> opposition. It's normal. That's your destiny. I can't promise you that you're going to get a new house tomorrow. I can't promise you that you're going to get a new car tomorrow. I can't promise that God's going to send you a mate. I, I, I can't promise that. I, but there's one thing I can promise that hell will regularly break loose. <laughs> Multicolored trials. You're going, to be, you're going to be blown away at what can be a trial. You're going to be blown away. What? Dang. I mean, I'm standing in line at McDonald's. Some sisters, y'all done had, that's why some of y'all went natural.
because you got a sneak peek of hell because somebody left that perm or relaxer in your hair long enough for your scalp to get crispy like some bacon. Opposition. Some of you fellas went to the barbershop. I remember, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a story. I, I rarely go to the barbershop, right? I can grow my hair out if I wanted to, so don't be talking about me. One time, I, 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 I cut all my hair off. My wife hates it when I, I don't have hair on my face. I cut it all off and was letting it grow back. Man, I went to this, this, this Vietnamese spot, $5 haircut spot. I sat down in the chair. And you know how you know somebody is tearing <laughs> your stuff up, but you just kind of like, oh, I felt like that before, and it's all good. <laughs> Fam. My mustache was, I had, I had a nice, thick, rich, manly mustache. This dude shaped up my mustache like this. It looked like a rainbow over my lip, up here by my nose. And then he pulled out, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna imitate him, but he brought it to my face. He see how I look. I was like. The barbershop had like 30 people in it. I got up, I said, what? No, 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 no. In the bar, I'm telling you, I was literally doing like that in the barbershop. I went on the people, I said, man, look what he did to me, man. How long you been cutting? He's like, this is my first day. I looked at the person to take the money. I said, I ain't paying for this. And I walked out. Soon as I got in the car, the faithful one, sovereign, Holy Ghost, here he goes with his conviction. And he, I, I know he impressed upon my heart. You'll never be able to minister to them. I drove back, got out the car, went into the barbershop, Stood in front of everybody. This was last summer. And, um, <laughs> and I said, y'all, I misrepresented the Lord Jesus Christ by my attitude towards y'all. And I was broken. I was, like, trying to keep it together. I said, um, forgive me um, for the way I acted. Um, man, I'll even pay for my haircut. And they said, no, nah, that's okay. And I left. And I was like. It felt so good. It felt so good. It felt, it felt good, y'all. Um, our lives, you, I'm telling you, you will be surprised where God will bring trials to. No matter how minute, all of them are equally valuable for reward. Look what he says further, and I'm going to close. I know I've been talking. He says here, look, look at what he says. He says, you have been grieved by various trials. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, what he's talking about here is the fact that many times when they harvest out gold, when they harvest out gold, gold has copper, 
all types of metals in it. And it can't be properly used. It's valuable, but it got a whole bunch of stuff that's mixed in with it that decreases its value. So what they do is they put it on heat and they heat it up to only a level where real gold will survive. All the other types of metals that aren't gold fall apart and become bubblish dross. And what the, what the smelter does is the smelter takes all of that dross off. He doesn't heat it up too much because if he overheats the gold, he'll damage it. And so the smelter sits beside the heat. And if there's too much fire, he pulls a log away to make sure that it doesn't get hot. Because the purpose is not to just heat it up for heat's sake. The purpose is to extract out that which is real and take out that which is not real. And, and when it gets to the point, and this is, this is what he does. He keeps doing like this over top of the goal as he takes the draw saw. Keeps going like this. And you, and you say, why are you, why are you doing that? Well, what he keeps doing is the more mess that he takes out of the goal to see the goal, he said he know that it's real goal when he's able to see his face in it. I'm just telling you that when God puts you in the oven of your circumstance, he's not going to let you out till he sees his face. He is not trying to destroy your faith. <laughs> He's trying to develop your faith. There's so many things that are weaved into your faith, encumbrances and sins, lack of holiness, anxiety, lack of trust, depression that is turned into a lack of trust. I mean, all types of stuff. And God says there's some heating that needs to happen. And God is not going to let you loose until he sees Jesus in that particular area of your life. And so no matter how small, no matter how large the situation you're in, everything counts. Jesus' face must be on every area of your life. That's why our vision statement is showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. And guess how that comes? Through the genuineness of your faith being tested. So I pray. My prayer is. Is that we would have the right biblical perspective. As we deal with trials. That God is purifying your faith. He's not giving you new faith. But the faith that he gives you. Gets wired with other things because of our fallenness. And the saintliness of our faith needs pruning. Pruning hurts. Pruning hurts. Repentance hurts. It's even embarrassing. It exposes who you're not. But while it's exposing what you're not, it's showing you who you are. And so I pray that we would learn, we would learn the secret. We would learn the secret of saying, God, Purify me at any cost. When you sing Refiner's Fire the next time, 
I want, I, want you to, I want you to sing it with a whole new vision of what God wants for you. I know this is not the usual American gospel that gets preached, but this is the real gospel. And I'm just telling you that God wants Jesus to be seen more than he cares about how much pain you're in. <laughs> because he's Christ-centered. And he can't stand for anything else not to be. Because the only thing that pleases him is Jesus. <laughs> and because of that, he is under covenantal contract to allow you to hurt a whole lot. And so I pray that we get it. Remember what I said last week, God doesn't skip grades. I don't care how smart spiritually you are. If you don't have the practice of the scriptures working its way into your life, what you know doesn't matter. What you know only matters as you allow the spirit to work it in you. That's beautiful. Him working it into your heart. Sometimes I was, I, you know, I was frustrated the other day because God, I was praying to God. I said, God, I feel, uh, you know, Friday, I was just feeling, I just, I was just feeling blah. I don't know if it was the rain or what. But I was like, God, I need you to work this in me. I need you to work. Like, as I'm going through this, I'm, I'm saying, God, I don't want to just preach a message and people clap. I want this to be a part of my life. God, work, work it in me. And it helped me to never become blind to what you're doing because of the challenges that you allow. Maybe you're here today. And if you're not in the faith, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't trusted Christ.